This is Jane Hardwick Collins, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Connecting to our inner dimensions. Inner reviews of transformation. When and how my life changed. Rewilding women with their stories of growth and transformation. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Thank you for joining us. This is important and deep, serious work. Your podcast host and story guide, Ali Kate. Warmest and loving welcome to you all listening. So excited that this is happening and this is going to be undoubtedly a great series exploring women's mysteries and shamanic dimensions of our stories. And of course, we want to introduce here for episode two, Jane Hardwick Collings, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. This episode was recorded in 2017 and back then the podcast was nearly ready to birth and of course we, how we weave. I had to explore in more depth my own inner journey before holding this such important deep healing space. So what you'll hear is all still relevant uh, even though it's been nine months. It's almost like a pregnancy And here is the birth. (laughs) So enjoy. I'd like to reach out and ask you to please leave a rating on iTunes and this will help get the podcast out to the wider world and also boost the exposure of the podcast players. Don't forget to go to our Facebook and Instagram page, The School of Shamanic Womancraft, where you'll see links and pictures to the podcast. So go forth and enjoy this story, Medicine. Okay, welcome Jane and welcome to the first of what will potentially be many beautiful stories on the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast. It's a big honour to have you here with the first podcast and big welcome to you. Thank you, Ali, and thank you for taking the time and making the effort to do this, to bring these stories to the world. I think it's a really wonderful gift that you are bringing and that you are. Mm, I must say that this is our first recording and so this is the first recording for the podcast. It's still in its infancy and it will grow. We'll nurture this baby and... Mm. Most importantly, I will express in my authenticity how I'm feeling. I'm showing up to it at the moment, but I'm just so in awe of potentially all of the stories that I will help guide and channel out of these amazing women that have come together through the School of Shamanic Woodcraft and beyond. There'll be others too, all sharing their mm. wisdom, their knowledge, their learning, their growth, their gifts in their healing. And so, Jane, this work in the School of Shamanic Womancraft is your channeling 
um, your remembering and your growth mm. and your gifts and your healing. So I thought you could lead it off with a little grounding exercise that I will be able to use for all of the other women mm-hmm. and potentially men okay. on the show. And then we yep. can get into the story. Okay. And just to say also that sharing stories is such a powerful medicine, you know, like of all the things that humans learn, the things they remember are the stories. So give great thanks for the stories. Yeah, it's time. And it's time to spark that remembrance of who we are, where we're connected to, and that is through the powerful nature of story. So, yes, Mm. honoured to be here, honoured to be here with you and to do this right now. Thanks. Okay, so let's begin with a little basic grounding process to reconnect with the earth and the source of everything. So let's just uh, feel where we're touching the floor and imagine our connection there through whatever floor we're connected to, down to the earth, to the mother. And then as if we are a tree, grow some roots down into the earth, down, 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 and now breathing up, breathing up the yin energy from the earth to fill our body, breathing it up and having it come all the way up our body and then out the top of our heads and then cascading down, around our bodies back to the earth. Another big breath in. Up. All the way through the top of our heads, the energy from the earth, and then cascading down like a waterfall around back to the earth. And then one more time, breathing up from the earth, up our roots, all the way into our body, out the top of our head, and then cascading down. Feeling the connection with the earth true, real connection on every level to everything. Blessed be. Blessed be. Thank you, Jane. Mm. Now, I am a visual person and from that I was visualising you and in that process and what came up for me was the granny villages and the granny knowledge and it wasn't that long ago that you did a drum journey and I'd actually like to hear Mm. about that to start with. Mm. Let's talk about Mm. that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so on the new moon in January 2018 with the help of three other women from the School of Shamanic Womancraft, Ishwari, Grace and Sequoia, we held a live guided drum journey to meet your or the great, great, great grandchildren to ask specifically what we, what one, what each person could do now to preserve natural birth for our great-great-great-grandchildren. So it was a global thing. There were over 300 people on the call and uh, it was also offered as a recording for those who couldn't make it at the time due to different time zones or whatever. And it was so exciting to do and be part of and feel and 
there I was standing in my kitchen with my pajamas on, drumming. <laughs> I thought they were your pajamas, the little love hearts. Yeah, they yeah. were my pajamas. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it was so special and so simple and so right, and the stories of the journeys, the reports of the journeys, which were basically people speaking of, mainly women, speaking of what information they receive from their great-great-great-grandchildren. And there were women there too who have no children and won't have any children, and they saw the great-great-great-grandchildren. So um, the missions that they received were amazing, you know, some very specific details of do this or stop that or make sure this, that or the other. And each of the uh, the messages from the great-great-grandchildren to the women were like it was really obvious that they understood, you know, like it was like they, they, they heard the uh, information, received it as a mission and knew what they had to do. And I just feel I'm having goosebumps now while we're talking about it. And, you know, the, the motivation behind doing that was having seen the effects of doing it two times before, once at the Seven Sisters Festival in Melbourne, Australia, last year in 2017, with, uh, did a presentation with the wonderful Rhea Dempsey there. We called the presentation Birth in the Dystopia and uh, did this journey as part of it and the effects there from the women reporting their experience was magnificent and then I did it again at the Australian annual home birth conference in Sydney in 2017 and to like um, an uh, big room full, conference room full of people sitting in the audience and me drumming and they went on that journey and again had really powerful experiences. So Ishwari really suggested to me, come on, you've got to take this out further. So that was the impetus to offer it on a global live level. And the thing about it, the two things about it that I really felt were important were that people realized through the process that what they are doing now, whether they're paying attention to it or not, is going to impact the great-great-great-grandchildren. And that's for a lot of things, not just birth, but as a midwife, birth is my real passion and focus. So the fact that everybody got that what they're doing now will impact... So, you know, wake up and take responsibility. And that that, that often um, said thing like, well, what can I do? I'm just one person in a huge population. What, what can I do that's going to make any difference? And having the very real experience of being told by their future kin or our future kin what they can do. You know, so... Those two pieces just really sit underneath the motivation for it to help people wake up to their responsibilities. And in particular around birth, as I said, being a midwife, that's, that's basically the world I grew up in. And 
as I've said so many times, the trajectory, the path ahead for birth in our modern world is not looking good. It's looking like it's just getting more and more medicalized and there's more and more intervention. And, you know, some people might think that that's great because medicine is taking charge and controlling birth and it makes it safer, but that's not actually really what happens. It's, uh, birth is not a medical event. It's a rite of passage into motherhood and fatherhood and life for the baby. And everything that happens at birth teaches everybody involved on a subliminal level how they need to behave in the culture to be accepted in the way the culture sees that next role they're entering into. So motherhood, fatherhood and life. So mm. it's deeply impactful. And I can just being my... gentle in the just being gentle in the environment of birth is going to make a difference. So feeling into that session that you did recently and connecting with those people, like you said, that may not actually physically produce a child or have the womb, the physical womb space too, and then we reflect back to the energetic level of just that intuitive nature of what that journey can offer these people to connect intuitively into that space without the distraction around it. And by doing that, already the movement is in place, already just mm. by showing up. Because um, you mentioned before, some you know people are like, well, it's just me and what am I going to do? But by, by even just showing up to that, it's already churning that movement into place. The thoughts there, the mm. ideas there, the intuitive willingness is deep in that space of that person to just show up to that and the work's already mm. being done it's being moved and you go from this space oh it's just me to these messages that are coming through without distraction it's yeah. the beat of the drum the beat the beat the beat yeah. and there's no mm. distraction it's um so mm. you know ha to to sit to sit there or to stand there in your pajamas <laughs> and i think <laughs> you can get so much done in pajamas to, and to sit there to stand there and to to guide this is epic in an, in a such a proportion because you know you've got this layer of technology now that makes the interconnectedness so you know easy I suppose in that way um, mm. and then to be able to have that amount of people around and then not to mention the ones that are going to tune in after I. I want to flip you back to, say, Jane at 17, 18, even younger. <laughs> was, there, was, there that, was there that notion there that you had internally, intuitively, as a young woman, wanting to speak, wanting to seek spirit, wanting that guidance? No, there wasn't. I was a young woman of the patriarchy. I didn't even know there was such a thing as the patriarchy. 
and I was living my life in a fortunate way, you know, like I grew up in a family where mum and dad were together and it was relatively uncomplicated and we had our needs met and, I, you know, I had a, a blessed life. <clears throat> and yet I was living that life that all of us were of thinking and feeling the effects of the culture on the feminine, so the oppression of women. I mean, I knew that was going on, but I just accepted it like most of everybody else did, you know, like it's just the way. Yeah. And so um, I grew up in a strongly patriarchal culture, in, in family, I mean. I grew up in a strongly patriarchal family. My um, dad was the breadwinner. He worked a lot and was away a lot, traveling, etc. And mum was the carer of, me and my three younger brothers, and we had, you know, a, a blissful experience in that. So I feel like I had the beginnings. My beginnings were a, um, a blessed life that was fully expressing the patriarchy, if you know what I mean. And how did that express so, as a person wanting to experience or... I think take risk sounds like the right word, to take a risk in life, to go from that blessed life, um, contentment maybe, so it seems, into this abundance of work that needs to be done to heal yeah. the stories that needs to be healed. Yeah. When you well, were that well, age and in that space, when did you start stepping? Like When did the little toes start? Yeah. Well, I... I started my nursing training as a as an uh, eighteen year old, seventeen, eighteen year old, and so my inculcation, my enculturation happened in the institution of a hospital. So I basically learned how to be in that subservient female nursing role, and this is way before nursing went to university. And all that, we were still doing things like scrubbing the bedpans and the floors of the pan room and stuff. That doesn't happen anymore. By <laughs> there's a whole other crew that do that these days. But were you in the so white, I, white hat era with the pointy? Yep, trainers? white hat yeah. era. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so then I I um, worked after my nursing training as a registered nurse or sister, which is how they were called in um, a children's intensive care unit, which was um, really eye-opening and quite scary and very challenging. And then I worked in an operating theatre as a theatre sister, as we call it, and then in, in, um, with anaesthetics. And then I also worked in a neonatal intensive care unit. So I had quite a lot of, you know, practice in that system and then I went and did midwifery and I did midwifery my midwifery training in one year which is what happens if you do the have the nursing training 
before. I think it's changed a little bit now, but this is like um, in 1984. Um, what was the I want to do midwifery decision based uh, I wanted to do midwifery so bad because I wanted to have a baby. Uh. I was 25, <laughs> I wanted to have a baby, and I wanted to know everything about it. You were ready for your transformation. So, you you had yeah. that calling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was so strong. And, you know, what I learned shook me to the core. You know, it was my awakening, my midwifery training. Mm. I woke up to the patriarchy. What year are we looking at? Oh, sorry. What year are we looking 25. at? 25. Yeah, and so... 25 years old. 19... Um, 84. 84, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And this was like... Um, Things that were happening then, like, were, for example, circumcisions on newborns with no anesthetic. Like, I remember holding a little baby boy down while they did that because it was, they hadn't realized, they, the medical profession, had not decided that babies could actually feel things. So, it's mm. not that long ago, but the perspectives are very different. So, anyway, so, doing my midwifery training, I basically had an awakening, an awakening to uh, the patriarchal culture. And was that awakening a beginning of, was there like a sort of internal anger or, you know, I'm just thinking of you holding that baby. Did something uprise in you like this, you know, that solar plexus gut thing? It's like, ah, this, you know. Yeah, it's fully. I mean, I nearly (laughs) failed my midwifery exam because I refused to answer the questions in the way that I knew that they would see as correct, which I knew were wrong. Mm, yeah. You know? So I only just got through that year. It was it was really hard. And it is for everybody that's doing it. It's, it's, um, it's deeply challenging, the system. So what I found... Um, in my midwifery training through another friend, a midwife, who I'd also done my nursing training with, and we'd been friends for a long time. She had already, she had a friend who had a home birth. And then that whole world opened up, and I found, I found the tribe that held birth sacred. And that really was the beginning of this whole, probably like a 180-degree shift in me, Mm. moving into seeing the sacred. Because I had had no spiritual upbringing, so no connection to sacred um, teachings or anything like that. So yeah. birth was the thing that brought that to me. To you. It's almost and the like, home birth community. Yeah, so you needed that exposure to sort of crack that shell within you. Yes, yes, exactly. And even if that exactly. meant being exposed to things that uh, terrified you or brought stuff up to you just to be able to show up like your midwifery, you know, you just got through it. But then that opened you up to this community of people that were like yeah. your the light, you know, it's okay, you can come yeah. to us now. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And I must say, we've done your birth stories, which is on my podcast, The Circle of Birth. Uh, I can't remember which episode. I think it's 17. So that's where one thing that I sort of resonated with with your first birth was that there was a point where you were almost like, I think you described it as a bit cocky going into it. And yeah. then, you know, just could you briefly talk about that transformation? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, like I, I thought I'd figured it out, you know. I thought I had the map and... Um, I knew what was required um, of a woman to birth and um, I thought I knew, having um, been witness and participant in many births before I had my own baby. And so, so I, I, thought I, I thought I would just have a home birth and um, all would be well and and what actually happened was the um, complete unraveling of me, which is what has to happen for someone to give birth, you know, like an unraveling, not in a negative way, but unraveling of the um, mindset and beliefs and fears that were running my life that I actually didn't realize. So I... Um, went into the birth of my first child in a in a sort of a cocky way, like you know, I'm just going to have a baby. And I remember my mum came over when I was in labour, and I said, "Okay, well, you know, I'm going to dilate a centimetre an hour, so the baby will be born at whatever clock." And um, yeah, I just was looking at it from a mechanistic perspective, which is um, you know the not the right way and so I had my experience of um, getting to the point of pushing and pushing and pushing and not being able to move the baby's head and ended up having a cesarean and everything was well the baby was fine Sam and I was well, so we were never in any sort of dodgy uh, situation of uh, compromised in any way. So I give great thanks for that. And then, you know, what that whole experience taught me was it taught me about surrender. And it taught me that I didn't surrender in birthing my first baby. And it taught me that I didn't even know that I didn't even know how to surrender. So it was the unraveling of uh, a binding that I had around me that kept me, I thought, kept me safe and protected uh, by controlling myself and the situation. And so that that doesn't allow for that level of tightness and restriction and control does not allow for surrender. And that's what the experience of that birth taught me. And I am like forever grateful for that. And I know that had that not happened the way that happened, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you about all of this. So I, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it taught me so much about the interconnectedness of everything. Like I didn't even, like I didn't know what I know now. 
Mm. And that was my initiation into it. it it's almost like the unravelling is that real acceptance, which is hard because we're such an intellectualised society where we have to look at things and describe it and put some sort of science behind it, especially in birth, right? Mm. And mm. I think when you just talk about that unravelling process and then what we know but we don't know and accepting what we don't know that we can know. It's like accepting that yeah. impossible thing, but we we don't know. There's so much we don't know, but it's accepting and allowing what we don't know to unravel into what mm. we know, if that makes sense. Like that yeah, process of totally. birth. Yeah. And mm. the the restrictions we put, like like you were talking before about like a negative adaption to it, just immediately shuts off, you know, all the other sort of learnings that you got from this experience because you wouldn't be talking to me right now if you, what we do is when we think of something negative that happens in our life. Um, so say you thought this cesarean section, you know, that was terrible and da-da-da-da-da um, would have shut you off from all of the gifts and the healings mm. that you've come to mm. Well, right you know, now. the, the diagnosis. The diagnosis as such when, you know, of my case, so to speak, was failed home birth. So, yeah. you know, yeah, great yeah. setup. <laughs> that old medical language, just love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, well, so, I mean, that situation and probably leading up to it, like, I'm just thinking the moment you just wanted to be a nurse, like, can you, what was that about? Or was that just like? I just want to be a nurse. Uh, no, I wanted to do a job where I could learn something and get paid. <laughs> yeah. And nursing came up? Like, how did it come up? Like, there's other things yeah, you could uh, um, I think that there were a variety of options that were open to me that were about going to work and learning something as opposed to going to university. Um, so I didn't have the resources or the desire to do that then. So nursing was a was an option, and yeah, I, um, I think it was pretty well respected back in the day, and seen as a worthwhile process to engage in. And to be totally honest about it I'm so grateful for my nursing training I feel like I um, it really set me up for being able to be with um, growing children you know having a family and all the things that happen in that health wise and stuff so I feel like my nursing training gave me a really good grounding for life and I'm deeply appreciative of it. And the midwifery, you know, back in those days too, was kind of like something that registered nurses often did was get another certificate. So the midwifery was always going to be um, part of that story as well. But it also had another piece for me. It's a great awakening. Mm. The unravelling. I like the unravelling. Mm. The unravelling. <laughs> Rolling out. It's like the... You know, the carpet rolling out and everything coming out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? Exactly. The, the carpet's rolling out and if there's dirt on the carpet, 
then it's going to come yep. out. It goes everywhere. It goes exactly. everywhere. Mm. And it's, it was pretty messy. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I'll link, obviously, the birth stories that you shared, which was, I think we talked for about an hour and a half, and I get so much positive feedback from listeners on that podcast. So mm. I will definitely link that so that they can hook into that journey. So let's go mm. beyond that and interweave with, you know, the messages and the channeling, I guess I can use that word, into the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Like this baby, how did you birth this baby? And who we? Wow, well, <laughs> yeah. So the School of Shamanic Womancraft, which was originally called the School of Shamanic Midwifery, and maybe you can link on this too to a, a little essay I wrote about the name change that's on the school's website. But it started <clears throat> as, um, well, I felt a call to action. And that came from a young student midwife who contacted me after she was at the, um, I think it might have been 2006 or 2007 home birth conference in Sydney where I co-presented with two of my midwifery dear friends, Shay Caplice and Cheryl Sidery, and we presented like um, our story, you know, how we, how we had um, grown through midwifery and, and what we were doing as midwives. And I told my story of my connection with Janine Pavati-Baker and the whole concept of shamanic midwifery that she taught me and many, 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 many others. And so this young midwife, student midwife, contacted me afterwards and said, um, you know, you've had some great teachers and mentors and particularly Janine who had died by this time. She died quite early, 50, early 50s. Um, she was no longer available in the flesh for, uh, you know, sharing her wisdom and I was um, full of her stories and teachings and this young midwife said, you know, it's your responsibility to to bring this and offer this to others. <laughs> wow. And um, that's really how it started. Yeah, wow. A call to action yeah. that I took extremely seriously. Just thinking about when Janine died, what did you feel at that time? Not, you oh, know, you just said early. I remember it um, so clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I was sitting out. I, it was, she died on the 1st of December. And I had been with her, with a young friend and my youngest child over visiting her at her deathbed in um, like May of that year or so over in America. And um, then I got the news that she'd die and I was here at home alone and there was a storm and there was thunder and lightning and really heavy rain and I was sitting out on my veranda and I was crying and the feeling I had was, what a waste. Like, what are we going to do without her? She was like a total beacon of light to me and many others. And, the, you know, the, the way I um, settled 
with that feeling was to imagine that her soul had already received its next mission and mm. she needed to move on to that. Did that come quite quickly, so the, that information? Or did yeah, you have to? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, the sadness and the grief was the massive bit. And the, uh, she was such a big piece in my life too, like a mentor ongoingly. So I was also wondering how, how, would, I go, how would I go on without her kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. She was, you, yeah. What's your thoughts on death? Do you want to express... Yeah, well, my thoughts on death, the only real experiences personally of death that I've had, like, you know, with close people have been um, my parents, and they're both dead now, and their deaths were at home, both of them, in their home, and that was because that's what they wanted and they were held with respect and love and 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 a lot of grief you know like my my feeling about death is that it's um something or it's a it's a rite of passage it's a rite of passage that carries the effects of all the previous rites of passage. And many of the Eastern philosophies speak of it being the preparation for the next life and the opportunity in the process to be with all of the things you need to let go of before you can do the ultimate letting go. So I think that... Also, I think that there's a timing thing around death that that um, there is a point to the timing. Mm. I won't imagine for a moment that I know what that is, but, mm. you know, I, I, there's so many stories that reflect that. Is that... What, so I, I think I see it as part of life. I see death as part of life and um, something that is going to be and always is a really big piece, you know, and um, the grief and the sadness associated with it and the guilt and the fear and the whatever else is um, also part of the gift. Mm. And I'm turning 60 this year and, um, you know, maybe I'm halfway, <laughs> but... Uh, Definitely as I get older and I see my friends getting older and I, and I see people dying that I know and things like that, I am much more connected to my mortality than I ever have been. And I use that as, a, as, a, as an invitation to live the life I've come for. So meaning you, the the older you get in the body that you're in now, the more you're connected to your guiding wisdom and experience in that mortal body. 
and the work that yeah. you need to and do. Yeah, that's right. And I feel it as a motivator. Mm. You know, like there would have been times when I would think, you know, decades ago I would think, oh, God, I can't do that, or who am I to blah, 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 or oh, that's too hard, or that might not work, or... Yeah, you like know, me with that. this podcast. Like I've been through <laughs> two weeks of like, oh, I'm, who am I? Like, what am I doing this for? I'm not good enough for this and boo, you know, da 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 da. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all of that. So you know, I feel like that lovely, that lovely sailing saying. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? You know those kinds of things. Yeah. Interesting before. And I've also, oh, yeah. I also can see the effects of what we're doing. So mm. I've been um, living in a community where I am now, which I'm a little um, less involved in now because I'm traveling so much, but I've watched children grow up in um, a new paradigm, particularly around rites of passage and menstruation, and, you know... Hashtag this shit works. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you are listening to the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast series with Ali Kate. Let the story guide you into connectivity, safety, and trust in your healing. Going back to timing and death and uh, what you spoke about before just made me think of birth and how we sort of bring on the timing of labour and you know, trusting in the divine timing of when birth is meant to happen and that agreement within that it's it is really honestly true that this medical system in both ends of the spectrum, birth and death, are really messing up with the timing of things. And, mm. I mean, people are being kept alive, being fed when they want to die, um, and people are being stepped into anxiety about when they need to birth. Because it has yeah, to be and this made time. to birth when they might not be ready. Ready, ready to birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. not let, not be let to die when they're ready to die, mm. <laughs> which is yeah. the the other side yeah. of the thing. And you know, it's yeah, what that effect is having on on that cycle in life. It's playing out mm. in our lives by prolonging yeah. or rushing birth and death mm. and not trusting think the process mm. yeah yeah i think that's the biggest thing that birth taught me is to trust the process yeah so you know it's not just trust a certain process it's trust the process yeah yeah, yeah and i think that um a great place to nestle into to really see that and feel that and experience that is to just be aware of what's going on around us, you know, like particularly in nature. Nature is our greatest teacher. 
of mm. the process. And, you know, we've been taught to think of nature as something outside us, that it's like a garden or a forest or a park or whatever. And um, humans are, in the, a lot of people getting further and further away from uh, from dirt and trees and grass and weeds and, you know, whatever, mm. and that that is happening to our peril and that it's not like we need to be in nature, it's that we are nature, we are part of nature and the further we move away from that, the sicker we're all getting. Mm. That's, you know, that's so, everybody knows that. So... I want to continue on with the student midwife that gave you the call to action because I'm really interested in what the call to action was and how that played out for you. I mean, that's a pretty profound yeah. thing for her to write that to you too because it's like, yeah, you've got a responsibility and it is true. And I know that since I've been doing the work with the School of Shamanic Womancraft, it's, I've understood it even more and more that it's my right and responsibility with now that I know what I know. <laughs> mm. Mm. Like this podcast so, is my responsibility now. <laughs> exactly, and good on you for noticing that and, and actually actioning on it. Yeah. That's the thing that you've got to do. You've got to take the action. Sure. So what I did was, oh, I went through a massive process of thinking, how can I do that? I'm not a teacher. I don't know anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. But realized what I could do was be a midwife and I could participate at that level in individuals' journeys, you know, like I already was doing as a home birth midwife. So I knew I could do that. And I worked with another of my mentors, a woman called C. DeBasto from Boulder, Colorado in America, and she she herself has a school, um, an institution that works around and teaches right use of power and she's really worth investigating the work of. She's an awesome woman. Anyway, she helped me write the curriculum. I had the bones of it. I knew I wanted to do stuff around birth and write the passage and then use kind of archetypal things like um, archetypal stories around god goddesses and um, vision quest and things like that to weave through the year-long journey to be both an experience and a teaching of earth-based spirituality and wisdom. So did all that in 2008 and then we started in, um, in 2009, the virgin journey as we called it, and we did that in the paddock here on our home property in the southern highlands of New South Wales and it was a camping thing and it was it was just beautiful it 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 unfolded in its awesomeness teaching me about it and everybody obviously about themselves and I learned so much in that first year that then informed the next year and and that's continued to happen each year the um, current year now is the ninth year and the um, I think the fifteenth or fourteenth actual four or eight seasons journey is happening. So it's really, really been 
taken up by women as a transformational journey. And I've been doing them in Australia and also overseas in the UK and France and I've got plans to do more overseas in Europe this year and next year and there are um, six or seven graduate teachers of the program who are teaching their own four or eight seasons journeys. So the school has grown in its not even decade yet to being an international women's mysteries school with Ooh, I like that. Many, many, many teachers. Mm. And have the women like in birth, I always say a good midwife would say that the women teach them in their journey. Has this been like this for you in this journey that the women have taught you as you've gone along with each journey and with each country? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like with birth for a midwife, every birth is the next lesson and every woman is her next teacher. Mm. So same with the school, you know, like I've been um, travelling up to Mullumbimby in the Northern Rivers Byron Base area for the last three years, doing the Four Seasons journey up there now rather than in our backyard. And there have been 60-plus women every year for the last three years coming to the journey, which is huge. Yeah. And, and then there's other programs running in Victoria, Blue Mountains, another one in Mullumbimby, the one in England that I said, and more planned for other European countries. But, yeah, each one informs the next. So when I first started it in that first four seasons journey when we were when the women were making their drums I hadn't actually realized the significance of one's birth imprint and how it would affect birthing a drum making a drum so that that dropped in there and it was like this amazing dawning of healing potential and connection to the patterns that people, that the women were experiencing in their lives that were connected to their birth that played out in the drum making process. So like just that, like that's massive. Yeah. So it feels like, it, it's, it feels like um, well, I'll just backtrack again. So in about, yeah, I think it was in the year 2000, I um, was at a point in my life where I was thinking, what am I going to do with myself? And um, I, I went through a purposeful process of dedicating my life to the goddess. Did this ritual and it was amazing. And so what I think and feel now is that what I'm doing is working for the goddess in bringing what I'm bringing. And right now, 
we're, what we're talking about is what that looks like as the school of shamanic womancraft. So I feel like I'm fulfilling a mission that's been given to me. And, you know, that sounds playful and mythic and that's how I like it. I choose to live the magical life and trust in the good reality. And I feel like my role of bringing the school of shamanic womancraft into being is an example of that. Mm, I like that play. Mm. I feel like, um, you know, the women, the sort of mermaids, as we all call each other, um, mm. like to play sometimes and it's that, that resonates, that feeling, that lightness and play um, yeah. really comes into it, into the work. Even though mm. I've since being a part of this, I've, I'm doing um, some of the deepest work that I've ever done in my life without the need for any, you know, herbs or drugs or this or this or this in that space. But there's this lightness about it, this playfulness that comes with it mm. that resonates across mm. the whole thing, which I, yeah, my child, my birth imprint wants to do that, wants to play, always wanted to play. And when you talk about that drum, that's what came up for me was I just wanted to play and gave myself permission to play and not do it the way it should have been done or the proper way or the, you know, this or this or this. Yeah, because, you know, like, you know, there's magic and medicine in this, obviously, because to be able to play, to be playful, to participate in play in all the ways that we're talking, you have to feel safe. Yeah. You don't play if you don't feel safe. So the container that the school is um, missioned to create is a safe container. And so that's the foundation, safety. Because then, <clears throat> then, you can, then you can do the inner work. If you don't feel safe, there's no way in the world you're going to do it. Yeah. And the way, <clears throat> the way I've felt that, we create, co-create, because not one person doing it, it's a co-creation. The way we co-create safety is by, is, is through creating intimacy. And by intimacy, I mean connection and love with each other. Because intimacy then creates the cauldron of growth. And... The transformation that happens in the cauldron of growth is what we're seeing in the women and what the stories that you're going to hear and share are going to show. And I just want that for everybody. And it's, it's just so simple. It's just about feeling safe. Yeah. Safe and loved. Yeah. Brings it, strips it right back to universal love, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, and we know that from birth, you know. If a woman doesn't feel safe, she's not going to have a baby. Yeah, that's exactly right. And leading up is like the labour, you know. Like the drum for me was like labour, but what I, mm. the processes leading up to it, I felt okay and I felt in a safe space to create the things that my, my little child wanted to do. And I got to play then. And that, you know, it's like labour. 
I say this to women, the way that you head into your labor is going to affect the labor and so on and so on and so on. But you've got the ability to bring that back into a safe space with that intuitive listening. And it all comes back to, the, like you said, the knowing um, and the unraveling, um, mm. but unraveling in a safe space. Mm. Yeah. 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 And so simple. So simple, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just connecting to, you know, with that whole, oh, I can't do this and I'm not good enough for that. Like, you know, like I played that. It popped up for over the past few weeks but I feel like it diffused so much more quicker than it would have, you know, back mm. in my life, in my, mm. my other times. There you go. Yeah, see, yeah. that's it, you know. Like, it's so, so um, empowering to see the effects of the work. Yeah, yeah. And we will see that with the women that, you know, the listeners once, I mean, you're the first podcast, once we hear the next journeys and so on and so on, we'll hear all those stories just in different ways. The effects of the work mm. creating a safe space mm. to be intuitive mm. and to grow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing yeah. Just and like simple. A plant. <laughs> yeah, just like a plant. <laughs> <laughs> how, just want to ask, how does travelling go for you right now? Especially like doing well, the wheel, right, and flipping yeah, continents. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me yeah. about that. Well, pretty good, you know, like I'm going to the UK in two days and I'll be gone for three weeks and I'm basically leaving here on Lamas and arriving there on Imbolc, so the opposite. And I've done this enough times now to realize the magical opportunity of that. Mm. So here I sit now at Lamas, beginning to notice my harvests in so many ways. And now I get to travel back to the seed time, the imbolc, to do a little bit of magic, to add some more of this or more of that to what's harvesting now so that it can um, grow even stronger be even more fruitful. So that sort of thing's going on and I'm loving that and just watching how that all plays out. And then in terms of how I physically and emotionally and psychologically cope with the travel is through radical self-care. You know, like I've been um, eating a ketogenic diet for the last little while in preparation to get myself um, strong and well and then I've gone off it now, ready to go traveling because it's just a little bit too hard yeah. to do that. I haven't yeah. figured out how to do that really well yeah. yet. Just for people but, that don't you know, know like, that's high protein, full protein, isn't it? Yeah, no well, carbs. It's, and it's high fat. High fat. Low, low protein, carb, yeah. high fat. Yeah. 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 Not yeah. really high protein, but yeah. because that can, body converts protein into Ketones, glycogen if you eat too much. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's high fat. Okay. So, yeah. basically, fat's the is a cleaner fuel to run your body on. Mm. There's less um, free radicals that um, are made in the process of using fat for energy as opposed to glycogen, which is glucose and protein, protein. converted to glycogen. That's a whole so, other conversation, yeah. I think. I, yes, but I bet you one of the women we can talk about that because we, you know, when you're journeying and the distractions and food is a distraction and, you know, amongst other things, um, the type of experiences that you can have with the different food 
in your body and how yeah. that processes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'm sure that will yeah. Yeah. be talked about. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, just carrying on my, um, my inner work and my um, practices of meditation and exercise and, and being in nature and all that kind of thing. So mm. staying on top of everything is another, um, you know, on top of my self-care is, is a way that, that um, helps me do what I'm doing. And also the gratitude for the opportunity, you know, like it's awesome. Mm. So I'm going over to England, as I said, in a couple of days, and I'm going to be giving workshops in Glastonbury which is such a beautiful, magical place, and I've been there a few times and done the workshops, and women come from all over all over the world to those because Europe is pretty close, and there's women coming from many European countries to those. And then I'm doing the closing gathering with the, the women who have been doing the Four Seasons journey in England this last year, and there's women coming to that from Spain, Brazil, um, Amsterdam... France, as well as UK locals. So I just feel such gratitude to be able to be part of doing what I can to help heal the wounded feminine and the wounded masculine within and without of our patriarchal culture. Yeah, wow, that's huge. I mean, I, I'm even just my mind's going to these different cultures and the sort of generational healing there too, the difference in the generational healing from here and the different lands and where you're at. And, I mean, wow, like you that's such a space and I could see why you'd have that step back and just feel really honoured to be there because mm. what a journey and what a, what a task set out for you. Yeah. But mm. so important. Uh, yeah, and you know, like I have a Gemini sun and an Aries moon and an Aries rising, so I'm very much a warrioress. Mm. And um, we came up with a name the other day that really feels like it's defining, and this work is Red Thread Ops. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, because that's what it is, you know, it's doing what we can to help heal the red thread, the yep. maternal line, the, yep. you know, the mother wound. Yeah. Have you, on the side of your yeah. head, got like little sort of circly gaps on each side of your, like at the front? Circly <laughs> gaps. Yeah. <laughs> I've got. I, I had a mole on the side of my head. Like, you where your hair's not sort of receding a bit, but not in the middle, but on each side. Like, because I'm just thinking you've got a lot of Aries and the ram, the that. Oh, energy. maybe. Can you see my horns? <laughs> Okay, so with the traveling and going overseas, I want to explore your thoughts on, so in my experience, my mother line is Irish um, and my father line is German. Now I've been to both countries and Germany is like, meh, this is before I knew what I knew, or this information. And then when I was in Ireland, I was like, I just want to be here. I want to, like, I just wanted to rive myself in the grass and never leave. Like, I felt mm. like I was home. It was almost, mm. like, even when I talk about it now, it makes me want to cry thinking about it. Mm. And 
um, you know, I, I, that's like that was it. That's that was the place I wanted to be, and. I get confused sometimes here. I have these dreams and one of the dreams was like it was around Beltane and I was in the festival and I was, you know, it was great and fantastic and all this stuff happened, blah, blah, blah. But when I woke up, I, I know I went into this space where I had this option to stay or I had to come back into this physical waking up. And I remember waking up and I was like, oh, because <laughs> it was freezing cold and – you know, I was in bed and it was frosty and I was like, oh, I was like, no, this is like, you know, da, da, da. Um, Do you think that, like, there's, of, of course, you know, in our mother line, but particularly in our mother line, there is parts of our DNA that still res- is, exists in these places that we connect to. And by being there, it's already brought up so much stuff for me. Um, and then there's that confusion sometimes that comes, like as you know what I mean. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely think that. I definitely think that we are uh, connected to our motherlands, most definitely. Mm. And um, you just told a story there of actually feeling it, and the fact that you feel like crying even just remembering it, and that you know, like there's big. That's big. There's there's all kinds of like scientific experiments that explain this kind of thing, non-local connection or whatever. I mean, it's there's there is science to prove everything that we're talking about. Mm. I never remember it all. I don't mm. have that scientific mind, but I'm yeah. so happy that it's there. But um, yeah, you know, like what I've noticed when I've done work with women in the lands of their ancestors is that it is very much more intense. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was trying to direct with you yeah the intensity and the difference maybe to yeah yeah well the the intensity um feels like the difference to me and um so doing the work here with uh you know mostly european descent women in australia where the bones of their ancestors will be here but you know maybe one or two or possibly three or four generations, but nothing more than that. And then over in the European countries where the women, their families have been there like forever, there is um, a stronger connection to the stories. Like it's actually underneath. The bones of their ancestors are actually underneath them. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that it's more intense but perhaps more easier for them to do the work because they're sitting Well, underneath. I think the thing that's different is the thing that they don't... Oh, so often what I hear from women of European descent in this land is that they, um, they don't feel connected to the land and who am I and what are my traditions and where do I belong and that kind of thing. Whereas women who are living in the lands of their ancestors, they're just doing what they did if forever ago and there's none of that like do I belong to this land thing yeah yeah that's interesting so it really intrigues me I'd love to explore it sometime with someone I'm sure it'll come out again in this series so Mm. what's your mother line yeah I think it's a big thing yeah my mother line is is English English and do you is actually gypsy my grandmother's mother was a gypsy 
Mm-hmm. So if my grandmother's mother was a gypsy, her mother would have been a gypsy, etc., mm. etc. Wow. I don't know any details beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel I, when you go there, like, is there any places that you know where you certain generations were born or resided that you visited? Or? Yeah. I, I um, haven't actually gone to the actual addresses that I know, you know, the areas that I know that they uh, lived since I have known this information, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I did travel over there young when I was younger and to the places and yeah. met relatives and things like that. But, yeah, I feel, um, I feel a sense of coming home when I go to that land. Mm. But I also feel a very very, very grateful feeling of home in this land of Australia. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I'd like to just crack open some of your wisdom now and just channel in some mm. of the, your wise words. How, how can you express in a call to action for them to show up, um, you know, in the truth, in their remembering, in their knowing, in their intuition... What's what's that in your wisdom, that space that they can step into this and... Yeah, like how can you start? How do you start? Yeah. I think that it's really easy and really obvious and it's to chart your menstrual cycle. Mm. Just begin to connect with the cycle that your body's going through and everything that that offers. Yep, I agree. You know. the, other, the other thing I would say is for women approaching um, their daughter's menarche or first period and for women approaching birth and for women approaching menopause to, to do your homework to find out about what the dominant medical practices are and what the alternative options are and to read all the details about anything and to question everybody who would offer any care or advice or direction and to make informed decisions, Mm. to take responsibility for their experience and make an informed decision. That doesn't necessarily mean ordering something that you want. It means that you are making decisions that are the most appropriate for you rather than being talked into things. Yeah. So decisions intuitively, not out of fear, which can happen. Yeah. And through education. Education. Yep. Yep. Informed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. How, mm, how are you thank feeling? Thank you, Ali. <laughs> feeling good, yeah. yeah. For more information on today's inner review with photos and how to connect, head over to schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com forward slash media forward slash podcast. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. 
We are all in this together.